0: Welcome to Between Sets, on this episode we chat with our good friend Ebony Garinku about her time in weightlifting and all of her amazing sporting endeavours before ever lifting a barbell. We hope you enjoy it.
1: G'day and welcome to Between Sets, I'm Daz and as usual I'm with my curvaceous host Simon, how are you mate? I'm
0: good mate, how are you? (laughs) How would you like that intro? It was good, it made me feel really good about myself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> At least you've got curves, mate. Fucking uh, thanks, mate. Today we are joined by Ebony Grinku, who is an Australian weightlifter, kick ass chick, and uh, likes to bang weights. How you doing, buddy?
2: Hey, good thanks, how are you?
1: Good thanks, good. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Mm. So
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for actually turning up on time, realizing it's we're in New South <laughs> Wales and Victoria, not Queensland.
2: In another fucking state.
1: Thanks for, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for apologizing for your backward policies and not adopting uh Dallas Savings.
2: Yeah, I know, I know. I'm known, yeah, I'm known for that.
1: <laughs> so let's uh let's cut to the chase. Tell us everything. Yeah. Start at the beginning.
2: <laughs>
1: Preschool, what was it like?
2: Oh. Preschool shit, and no, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm out. I'm out there.
1: So, dude. Actually, no. I was tr-
2: always pretty. I was always pretty naughty, to be honest. Like, I was a I little kid it. that just. <laughs> 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 the little kid that just wanted to climb on shit and just fucking zip around. Yeah, I was um a bit of a handful, I think.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. So let's cut to the chase, dude. Let's yeah. talk about it. We've asked all the current lifters and guests that we've had on so far. Let's talk about 2017 yep. and how it was for you. January 1, 2017. Shoot.
2: Go. <laughs> um yeah, so in general it was a massive year. Um obviously with trials and all the qualifying events that we had. Um Jeez, I made the call. I think after the Australian Open, which was in March, to move up to 75s. Um, I was competing at a 69 before that, and I made that call. Just basically, the last couple of comps that I had were becoming a real struggle to, you know, lose that last couple of kilos of body weight, and my performance was just very stagnant. So, you mean you're up. another think-
1: weightlifter that struggles with a weight cut? That is. Unheard
2: of! You. <laughs> really, weird. amazing, hey! Oh, <laughs> um, shit, I wish I did it like, yeah, ages ago. I wish I did it well before then. But you know, I guess I was in denial. You know, it's only it's only a couple of kilos. It shouldn't make a difference. It makes a fucking difference. Yeah. Um, but yeah, everything was was going quite well, and um, you know, did nationals. I came third at nationals. PB, obviously. PB total but new body weight. Um, had Comchamps, which went reasonably well as well. Um, PB total again. And then then we hit trials and it all sort of went a little bit pear-shaped, to tell you the truth. Um, whether it was, yeah, a bit too much or a bit too I don't know, it was all pretty it was all pretty full on at trials, but um you know, we all, I guess, showed up and did the best we could on the day with what we had. So, yeah, all in all, I felt pretty pretty spent after trials. It was actually um, – had, I think, a couple of weeks off after trials. But, yeah, coming back was quite difficult. Um, not really – I say motivation-wise, but not really in the sense of – um, lack of motivation, but in the sense of I would show up to training and just mentally I was so done. Really, like I just I'd start training and I'd do maybe you know one exercise and I'd just be like I got nothing. Like I've literally got
1: nothing. That's a big session for uh, me, by the way. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so just the, just the yeah, I mean, <laughs> a couple of months you know down the track now into into 2018 and I'm starting to feel a bit more normal I guess obviously all the common games stuff happening pretty soon is bringing you know a bit of stuff back up but um, it is what it is you know we've all, we've all tried our best and fortunately there was limited spots so just still kicking at the moment, trying to trying to build myself back up to something that's um semi reasonable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that um that like little lull after the um after the trials, what what's that caused by? Is that just the disappointment of missing out on the the big one? Or is it just not having a, a goal in mind for twenty eighteen, just being sort of lost a little bit in limbo?
2: Yeah, I think it's Definitely, like, the two weeks that I had off straight after trials was just upset, disappointed, couldn't even – didn't even really want to be anywhere near a gym or a set of weights or a coach for that matter. But, um, yeah, I think after that it was like I wanted to get back and train, but, yeah, I was just really – it was really mental after that. It was really – I was mentally just so – I guess like you know every time I I thought you know I'd try and get back into it and I'd be like well you know exactly that like you sort of you know you've got goals for the next year but it's almost like you can't even bring yourself to start again because you've just had such a big you know couple of years leading up so yeah I think it was just my, my my brain was ready but my body even though like physically I didn't feel that bad it was like just just everything was just not quite ready to come back yet, I think. Um, you know, and after such a big uh, build-up and big anticipation, you know, for it to finally be over, whether it was, you know, a good or a bad outcome, for it to finally be over, it's just kind of like I think everything just sort of lets go a little bit and you sort of go, shit, well, you know, it's it's done now and, yeah, you know, you just don't – I don't know, I just didn't really <clears> – <throat> Didn't really know where to start again, I guess, if that makes sense, without, you know, being too literal, but it was just sort of like, well, what now? So
0: And what what is what is the answer to that question? What what is next for you? What's your what's your new goal?
2: So this year I'm just I guess taking a big chunk of the year now to try and just build myself back up. Um, work on things that you know, are definitely weaknesses for me and just to try in terms of training a lot of new and, and varied things, I guess. You get so caught up in, um, you know, with trials and everything, with with numbers and, you know, I need to lift more and more and more when really, you know, sometimes to lift more you actually just need to go back a little bit and, and, and fix the things that are uh, inhibiting you from being able to lift more and I think just, just varying training up a lot for me this year to, you know, re-bring really not so much motivation back but to just make things a bit more interesting and, and, and you know, it, try and enjoy training again rather than it being so uh, about results and about, you know, and about totals and about what weight I can do, you know.
1: Tell us a little bit. I totally um, – I get where you're coming from when you get closer to – the thing that you're training for, the competition you're training for and you really start to specialize and, and obsess over mm. the finite details and you, and not just you but everyone will forget to do the things that made them successful in the first place. And I'd like to talk about your yeah. first, your first sporting career which is why I think you're such a good fucking athlete and that is sprinting. So yeah. tell me a little bit about your sprint training and how it's different or has been different in your weightlifting career. If
2: if at all. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I think I started sprinting or, you know, little athletics athletics, whatever you want to call it, from gosh, the age of eight. Um and I, I could always run fast. So, you know, even though I, we were only born, young, born we criminal. were still you know. <laughs> 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 Yes, yes. I do have um, <laughs> darker skin, so whether that's related oh, or not, Oh, I
1: can't
2: say that. Gotta be run fast. Oh
1: Jesus! <laughs> oh, so okay. are, you, are you also <laughs> saying, like they used to, they used to say in rugby league circles as a joke that Wendell's, yeah. Wendell Wendell Sailor's dad was Viv Richards when he was over here on a tour and met his mum. Are you, are you trying to claim Viv, viv as well?
2: No. <laughs> no, no, I can't. I can't claim any of that. To tell you the truth, I'm just a little bit fucking stained in colour. But I don't know whether that's got anything to do with it or not.
1: <laughs> well, I've got potato. So... I've got potato farmer um, complexion. Hundred percent
2: Irish. Oh yeah. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> So I have my dad to thank for that. But, yeah, he's um, European, as it would be. So, but, um, yeah, so I started at the age of eight and I guess by the time I was, like, 11 or 12 was making, you know, state teams and national teams and stuff like that, just just little athletics sort of stuff. But, you know, then obviously you got your school sport and stuff. So probably from the age of 12 I've been actually, you know, training and, and was specializing um Four sprints, I was two hundred meters was too far for me. I was always a hundred and um hundred hurdler when you start off younger you you know your hurdles is shorter in distance and then they as you get older they slowly creep up but anyway i I ended up being a hundred meter sprinter and a hundred hurdler i um had to do the occasional two hundred here and there to to qualify for teams, which was really unfortunate' cause, um probably hundred 150 meters is my max. <laughs> so um, that last 50 was a real, real blowout when I had to do a 200. But um, yeah, look, in terms of, I guess, training, sprinting wise versus weightlifting now, um training was always very varied you know we did we did our stuff on the track whether it was sprints or plyometric type you know jumping hopping bounding jumps into the pit jumps over hurdles all that sort of stuff um all different sorts of sprints my obviously endurance was my very 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 weakest point so i was constantly being hammered over uh speed endurance type sessions but um yeah, then once I got a bit older into sort of high school, we'd, we'd do a bit of weight session. So maybe every, every second day I'd be on the track and every in-between day I'd be in the gym. The stuff we did in the gym was pretty basic, um, you know, s- squats, deadlifts, a bit of sort of power clean type stuff. Nothing too crazy heavy either because uh, being a sprinter, it was always power to weight ratio. So, you know, you didn't want to get too big and heavy type of thing but um yeah I guess varied from weightlifting or weightlifting over here I guess I haven't really trained weightlifting anywhere else to know different sort of methods but over here it seems very you know like to get better at weightlifting coaches over here seem to think that um to get better at weightlifting you need to do more weightlifting.
1: Not not all coaches. Where, no, I'm just throwing
2: that in. Oh. Well, yeah, yes. Yes. True. Um but yeah, that's sort of the general feeling you get is that, you know, the where I train, it's it's to get better at weightlifting you need to do more weightlifting and I think that's where what's been the biggest change for me is in track and field and and you know the other sports I've done is you you do the sport, you do, but you also do other types of training to assist what you're doing that are, are, are varied from, from what you're doing to, to make you better and stronger and faster and whatever in, in, in different ways, you know.
1: So what was, yeah. just, just for shits and giggles, what was your quickest 100-meter 100 time?
2: 12.2. Uh,
1: oh, that's a, that's a shame. Simon's got a 12.10. That's yeah. an absolute shame, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, oh, just real over ten meters.
1: Yeah, ten meters. That's scary. Actually, just for for the listeners out there, does anyone know the uh, <laughs> anyone know the fastest sport? fastest athlete over forty meters. Any of you guys know?
2: Probably, a, probably a like a discus thrower or oh, some kind
1: of thrower. I love it. Yeah, it's the throwing sports. It's the shot put. Shot putters are the fastest oh, over yeah. forty meters. Coincidentally, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. that's the average size of an old school backyard. So if you've stop if you've ever gone clothesline shopping, you only got to be faster <laughs> forty meters to drop a fence and get out. So that's the most most advantageous training regime <laughs> for criminals shop shop put program.
2: I, um, I I wish we had indoors over here because um, oh I know. <laughs> My first sixty was amazing. From sixty on, it was just like bloody hold on. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was a gun out the start and would you know pull ten meters out my start and then just my little legs just had to hold on the rest of the way. <laughs> <laughs> Tell- Doesn't matter who's coming, just hold on. <laughs> That's-
1: so, I'm curious as to with your sprinting background I know sprinters use a lot of imagery and mental rehearsal to to tap into yeah breaking the speed barrier do have you adopted any of those sort of any of that sort of imagery into weightlifting on the platform and if not why not
2: I think so probably more not so much when I started um but probably a lot more in the last year or so I guess initially, you know, like learning to weightlift and and be a weightlifter and and being in that learning phase, you don't sort of, until you actually sort of feel like you half know what you're doing, it's quite hard to uh, adopt those sort of things in. But I think now that I'm, you know, a little bit more developed as a a weightlifter, yeah, definitely. Um, Even just, you know, in the sense of seeing a a lift before you do it type of thing, even those sort of things. Like for me, hurdles was a really big one more I feel closely related to weightlifting because hurdles was so technical. Um, And, you know, everyone has the same three steps in between the hurdles. It's just how fast you can get over the hurdle and how fast you can do those three steps in between, you know. So I guess for us it's very similar in in weightlifting where um you know it's it's how fast can you move around that bar and and, and get under it and stuff so yeah definitely I think initially I subconsciously adapt, adopted it a little bit but um yeah more and more I I try and use it from sprinting to to lifting now so yeah
1: how how far did you get in into the uh, sprinting world? Like, at what level did you compete at?
2: Um, so I inter- yeah internationally, but I was still a junior. So I did a Arafura Games, and I did a Youth Olympics. I never quite made World Juniors. I always, I, for whatever reason, I always the the two or three years I tried to make World Juniors, I always would just miss out. I think that World Juniors often ended up um, in our off-season, so I was never quite, you know, in the right, I guess, shape or, or phase of training. But, um, yeah, I made an made an few games and a Youth Olympics, so.
1: That's impressive.
2: That's then pretty I got, impressive. Then I got. Yeah.
1: Because athletics is a sport where you don't need equipment, you don't need big budgets, you just need a bit of ground, a bit of know-how, and some genetic potential for speed, and away you go. Right? Yeah. So, yep. which means they, therefore, hey, the competition. Choose. And shoes, yeah. Well, back in my day, we used, no, to, put, we used to put nails through you our feet. Really? That's how tough we were. <laughs> yeah. yeah we're
0: cool. Actually, sure.
1: I'm that old. When I was doing athletics, my favourite event was the three hundred metres. And you tell oh, people now, and they like go, that. "Is that fucking? Is that for real?" And I'm like, "Yeah, three hundred. I was fucking. I was the boss." And uh, Darren Clark, oh, he used to run three hundred. Yeah. Anyway.
2: Uh, <laughs> that do three hundred. Three hundred is like my worst nightmare.
1: Yeah. It's not my my my, my worst nightmare is, is jaws in a kiddie pool, but that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's different.
2: Yeah, I used to have to do. This session because, you know, my so my coach was an uh, ex-Aussie sprinter as well. He uh, went to Sydney Olympics and um, anyway.
1: As an athlete or did you, yeah,
2: you take? Uh, no, no. He, his name's is Darryl Wilson. He was a 200-meter runner, funnily enough. Nice. Um, yeah. So he was, yeah, always up my ass about how shit my speed endurance was. Go so, on. I used to cop some sessions, and my least favorite one was um, this one, which was 500 meters and four minutes rest, 400 meters, three minutes rest, 300 meters, two minutes rest, 200 meters, one minute rest, and finish off with a 100. And he would never tell me when I had that session before training because I would always just pretty much blow up about it. But, um, (laughs) yeah. That's hilarious. That was... Oh, that was like the bane of my existence. I pretty much nearly died every time I had to do that session.
1: Okay, can, I, I'm just going to sure. jump in there. Can you? I program that exact session. I've done it three times over my GCS mm. career for CrossFit athletes. Now, when I program yep. it, they don't, they usually aren't able to access 100% of their intensity because they don't know how to run fast. So when I give them that workout, they just jog through it because they're used to doing a lot of reps at sub-max speed. So can yep. just um explain how your butthole feels with the extra
2: lactic acid with that one? <laughs> it <much> falls out. <laughs> I'll tell you, we had to keep, so it was, I can't remember the exact uh, time, like in seconds, but just say it was a percentage of what our uh, fastest, 100-meter time was. So basically it would be, I don't know, you know, say I had to keep the whole way 20-second 100-meter splits, so from the 500 down to the 100. And it sounds relatively easy, you know, like, oh, 20-second 100 meters, but when you have to do that and keep that same pace the whole way, I'm pretty sure I, like, lost a calf one day because, yeah, everything just absolutely blows out. And, you <laughs> you, it, you know, when I, before the first time I did it, I thought, I don't know if it was 20 seconds or, you know, whatever. Like, as I said, it was a percentage, you know, worked out off of our, our fastest time. But whatever the time was, I, the, before I'd ever done it, uh, you know, he sort of told me the time and I went, oh, yeah, that's, that's that sounds pretty all right, pretty reasonable. And then, you know, obviously your rest each um each lap or each run that you do gets less and less and yeah, it just goes really, really, really downhill from there. And um, <laughs> that twenty second hundred it cannot be uh you know, slow enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: Cause a lot of people watching watching the Olympics for instance, they'll watch you saying both bust out the 100 but they because he's doing it so easy and all the other ones as well when you watch amateurs yeah. sprint or semi-professional guys sprint like they are literally killing themselves to access yeah close to 100% of potential for speed it is such a painful yeah. painful sport and personally I think it's the a lot of people talk about gymnastics moving into weightlifting I, I don't agree I think if you're a sprinter you're you've got the advantage if you can, you know, sprinting on top of mobility, then you're a fucking lookout. You're, you're a problem for your, for your competition. Yeah. Because yep. you can just access that contractile potential more than the, than the average person. Yeah. And you, only, you don't you don't yeah. need strength and, I mean, speed endurance. <laughs> Fuck that. Like, what, no. <laughs> what's the most lifts you're doing with warm-ups? Usually the most lifts are anywhere between 15 to on the high end 28 lifts like including warm-up and competition yep. so that's not really yep. speed endurance you can get away with a little bit of shit yeah anyway that's my yeah. oh another fun fact for everybody does everyone know what the first olympic event was ever back in ancient greece
0: Olive oil or something?
1: I don't know. <laughs> no, actually, cre- creepily enough, that was the third naked. Wrestling- Seriously, naked wrestling was introduced into the Olympics and the third Olympics. The first was the, the first event ever was the two hundred meter sprint. Pe- people mistake and think that marathon was the first event. It was never a part of the Olympics. That was a marathon comes from a story of a a dude running to tell somebody about a, uh, invaders. Just a fun little note. That's what that's what happens when we podcast and have
0: afternoon beverages. <laughs> yeah, and on our next episode, we will be going uh, through history lessons again with Daz. <laughs> but uh, maybe we'll, mate. When you're as old as me, when you're as old as me,
1: you you get to see a bit. When you went to school with yeah, Jesus, on that saw, Daz. T-
0: yeah, t- tell us what it was like to see the first Olympic flame get lit. Mate, it was tough. It was tough. <laughs>
1: It was like watching a Bogan butt out his ziggies out the front of St. Kilda. <laughs> Not very oh, impressive back in the day. Now, Ebbs, tell me, <laughs> talk to me.
2: Yes.
1: Athletics, summer, yep. summer sport. Tell me about your amazing transition to the world of bobsled. Because I've always, as a, as a frustrated sprinter, I used to be all right <clears throat> back in the day and then I got into, into footy. You've made the dream yep. transition from sprinting in a bobsled. For me, I would fucking love to do that. That sounds fucking awesome.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And but no yeah, one gives look, a fuck about
1: me. What about uh, you, Eves? Tell us the transition.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I um, – all right, so I probably was sprinting still for like a year or so out of high school. Um. Now, once you – Finish high school and you don't have school sports in terms of athletics in Australia, it's very, very, very amateur and there's not a lot of um, competitions or or big competitions as such. Um, So really if you want to continue and be more professional at it, it, you got to go overseas. So you've got to either go to university overseas or, you know, some, some sort of avenue, you know, you can do a lot of your training here but competition-wise, you know, Diamond Leagues and all those sort of things, they're, they're all overseas. So um, I continued for about a year after, after high school and um, I guess I'd just been doing it so long I got a bit stale with it all. Um, I started studying – Was sort of half at, half at uni, half at TAFE, um, you know, decided to have a few months off and a few months turned into probably 18 months off. Um, and then afterwards I contacted my old coach and, and, you know, I just kind of woke up one day and said, no, I need to, I need to be doing sport again. Like I need to be running again. I need to be, you know, back into it. Um, so I contacted my old coach and I was, Basically was training to train again, we used to call it, because I was not in any shape to, to train like a real athlete yet. So I was training to train and got back to a point where I was actually getting ready to start racing again. And I was contacted by um, my old pilot, the the girl who used to drive the sled for the team. Um was contacted by her just via email, basically they were doing a big uh, recruiting process to try and get – they'd just come off the, the previous Olympics in 2010 and they were just recruiting to try and get, you know, a bunch of new girls interested or involved or trying out just to just to try and, you know, the next four-year bid for, for the next Olympics. Um, so, yeah, I initially thought it was a bit of a joke and didn't really know <laughs> know what to uh, make of it all but my coach sort of said no well look if it's you know if it's a chance to make uh an Olympic team like you'd be you know you'd be stupid not to so anyway went along and and tried out and did some athletic testing which was basically a bunch of uh sprints so nothing more than 40 meter sprints which was all done with timing gates so 40 meter sprints some standing long jumps, some shot put throws, um, a little bit of weight testing, so some squats, some power cleans, you know, that sort of stuff. And basically I tested the best out of all uh, the girls who were testing. So I um, then was given, you know, the opportunity to obviously train with them uh, in the, in the off-season before before the season to go away overseas and, and then I was given the opportunity to go and try out on the ice overseas and got overseas and still out of the girls that were doing it in, the, in you know, the first couple of years, I was still uh, pushing the best out of all of them. And so we were, for the first time in, I don't know, I think the history of women's bobsleigh, we were getting uh, top tens and, and we even got a top eight. It's epic. And that was, yeah, that was probably two years in. Um, and it was the, the team, so we had other girls training at home but essentially the team was me, the pilot and uh, one other girl and so we would all you know, share, you do a number of races over the season which are all World Cup races and they equate to points um, and in Olympic year the points qualify you for the Olympics and in the all the in-between years the points qualify you for World Championships. So in my uh, first and second year, I was doing what well, we we did enough, obviously, uh, to qualify for world champs, and um, I did two world championship races, one in Lake Placid and another one in um, Saint Moritz. The following Lake Placid. Year.
1: is that where that uh, documentary was filmed? I think it was mid '90s with the huge crocodile.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> Yeah.
1: yeah. That was real does.
2: That, was, that yeah. was definitely real. It was a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um yeah, that was sort of where it was all at. And then the year, the season before the Olympics. Um so I guess we started getting all these good results and a lot of funding and a lot of um scholarships and and stuff like that, you know. And with all that sort of came the eagerness to get better from the pilot. She'd never really had those sort of results in her last two uh, previous Olympics. So Can you yeah, break we- down can
1: you break down the, the job of the pilot? Obviously Simon and I are experts in the bobsleigh, but for those people who are listening at yeah. home.
2: Yep. So <laughs> I was what they call uh Brakeman or brake and essentially, so on the break start boss. line, I guess. Break. <laughs> I guess <laughs> you think of um, it's a little uh, bit, I guess, like motor racing, except the sled have a We've all seen Cool Runnings.
1: Is that's basically where, a documentary too, wasn't?
2: We're essentially yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> the motor for the sled, so. My job at the back is to push the shit out of it and pick up as much fuck speed oath. as possible.
1: <laughs> that is exactly the best way to
2: fucking describe it. Haul ass!
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm here to haul ass just and chew bubble gum, and I'm all out of bubble gum.
2: Yeah. She's um, <laughs> here to fucking launch that thing down the hill. So. Yeah. Fuck. Oh, and then we break, I brake at the end. So we just essentially got like this big kind of handbrake thing and you do like a massive basically handbrake at the end to just get the sled stopped. Um, yes. Now the pilot also pushes, um, pushes on like a little bar at the front, what then folds into the sled. But she also pushes but uh, a shorter distance because obviously she has to hop in first to start steering the sled. Um and then yeah basically once she hops in and and gets a hold of the the steering she you know steers it the rest of the way down because there's a lot of um turns and corners and loops and and what have you in the track so yeah that's essentially she's she's driving the sled she's steering it all the way down and like motor racing um all the lines you take and and you know any uh wall or anything that you might tap is going is going to cost you time so yeah, my job is really just to pick up as much speed at the start. Her job is to steer and pick up as much, you know, continue the momentum on the way down by steering it down. So,
0: what what's their mental approach to to the sport? Because I watch it and it scares the shit out of me. Like I'm like, <laughs> surely going to fuck up at some point. Something bad's going to happen. How do you approach that?
2: Um. Yeah, I don't know. I to, It was really funny, actually. The first time I ever went down the track in the sled, all I could – the only question I had was, how do I get in? (laughs) They were like, mate, when you're fucking running behind it and it's going down the hill, you'll get in. And I was like, you know, like I was – you know, your mind panics and and you try and be very specific with things and it was just kind of like, no, but – you know, do I need to jump? Do I need a like, one leg at a time? And they're like, mate, fucking just get in, basically. Just <laughs> once you can't yeah, push anymore, can. so fucking get in. That's exactly how it happened. I fucking jumped in. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm sensing a criminal theme, like running away from crash. <laughs> Now you're driving away from the scene of the crime.
2: Okay, <laughs> okay. So... Yeah, look. It was initially it was pretty fucking scary to be completely honest. Like you know, it's essentially like go karting down a hill on ice, um, and it's it's super rough and rattly, and you get bruises and all sorts of shit. Um, but I think after your first one, maybe two runs, it becomes yeah, you become a bit more of like a speed junkie. <laughs> and you just want to go faster and it yeah it just really becomes more about you know how fast and how hard can you push and 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 how fast can you go you know so I guess it's a bit like weightlifting and how much weight can you lift you know you're always looking for that that little bit more 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 you know so um yeah I think how do do
1: players get how do bobslayers get selected then so the pilot how do you test their driving ability and the whole of the boss bitch at the back, how do you how that how does that person get picked? Is it purely just on times or is it other factors?
2: So I guess for us as a small nation in Bob Sutting, because obviously we're not a very winter sportish country. Um, you know, she as a pilot, she was a good pilot, don't get me wrong, but there was no one else driving, so I guess she didn't really have in terms of competition, anyone else as such. But, um, with the races, you know, yeah, it's a time thing. So you obviously, she obviously had, um, you know, comparable to the top teams, um, downtimes and our downtimes and stuff like that. But because it is so, uh, points driven as, um, it, it, in terms of the races, the faster you go and, and the better you place, um, that's how you earn your spots. So it was never like she just uh, got a free ride because she was the only one driving or anything like that. Um, she just, in terms of selection, didn't have anyone else that she was uh, up against, I guess, in, in terms of being picked as a pilot. Um, as a brakeman, woman? Man, woman nice as a break woman. <laughs> like any team sport, I guess you gotta have a, you know, like a spare or a a reserve kind of thing. And 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 because it's so the season's all winter. Um and you're doing one race every week at the end of each week. So because it's such a long season, I mean obviously you can't swap out the pilot, but with the break women um and men you often have, you know, two or three to, to rotate throughout the season. So, yeah, there was never a massive, uh, what do you call it, I guess, crowd of people lining up to to try bobsledding or anything, but there was always a few of us. So between us, it all came down to athletic testing, which was um, all the stuff I sort of spoke about with jumps and sprints. And laps. We did over the uh, uh, Home first before we got on ice, and then once we so that sort of determined a, a bit of a ranking before getting overseas on the ice. And then once we, you know, say I tested the best, so I I had first place. The other girl had second place. We'd maybe have someone else in third. We'd all go over for a preseason at the start of the season, and we'd all go do some push-offs um, on ice. And essentially, they have ice houses which. Is just like a mini start ramp. With <laughs> I her. just
1: I just pictured Ivor Davies holding the starter's gun, <laughs> 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 and just playing nothing but Great Southern Land before before every race. Yeah, fuck it
2: off. So it's just pretty much like a little ice hill with a little mock like sled on it, um, and yeah, you just it's it's got timing gates and everything, so you just go into the ice house. And you all just push off and, and whoever – this is individual, so everyone pushes individually at the ice house. And then you can also do uh, paired ones, like to to, to mock a, a normal um, bobsled star. But generally to compare us all individually, yes, we'd do uh, individual push-offs and then, you know, we'd be ranked from there and that would sort of determine who was doing what races. And, and as the season went on, we'd do push-offs throughout the season as well, uh, to make sure you know that the the ranking and everything was still in order. Um, and that's yeah, that's basically. I mean, uh, the pilot she still did went and did all the athletic testing and all the pushing and all 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 that sort of thing. But as I said, she's the only one driving, so she didn't have anyone that she had to necessarily be uh, better than.
1: Yeah, she's still Sorry. working hard. She's not like one of those coxswains that look like they're useless in like a rowing team. Like she's still contributing <laughs> no. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Not no if still she... coxswains
1: <laughs> out there, but fucking,
0: yeah, <laughs> play sport. Yeah. We just lost like three listeners, man. Three, fuck. That's <laughs> half of our employees. Yeah, we're fucked, we're fucked as. Oh, shit. <laughs> there you
1: go. So tell me like the, because the, I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of Vladimir Putin, obviously, and uh, Russia. So tell me, tell me about the lead up, uh, about um, getting or the lead up to the, to the Sochi Olympics. Tell me about that. Like, what's the vibe? Like, so you've mentioned that there's uh, bobslayers in reserve and there's yep. testing and you rotate people in and out. What is the, the team camaraderie like? Oh, I know in like when you have rugby teams and you go on tour, eventually there's a group of people that get banished. Just to be fucking tackle tackle bags, human tackle bags. Like so mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. at some point everything in a rugby tour is great until teams start getting closer to the important matches yep. and then there's a clear fucking divide of you're just here to pick up my shit. Yep. So yeah, what's the vibe yep. like when you're fighting for a spot to be an Olympian?
2: <clears throat> yep. So for us in our small little team, you know, it's it's basically, you know, the pilot and you against, you know, one or two other people tops. Um, so you're all, you know, pushing off every week and training every week and racing every week. And, and you know, you obviously have the team's results um, in in mind what you still need to keep moving forward with. But at the same time, yeah, it, it's, you know, especially with the girls, it starts to become pretty um, catty in terms of, you know, well, I want to, you know, I should be doing this race, and I should be doing that race, and it's it's kind of, you know, it's really for me, coming from track and field, it's always just been about results, you know. Um, if you run the fastest, you go basically, um, or you jump the furthest, or you, you know, that sort of thing. Where a lot of politics does start to come into play. Um, you know, on these teams because uh, it's not just one one person and one person's results. It's it's a combined effort and, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of blame games, I guess. You know, you weren't pushing hard enough or you got in too soon or you did this or, you know, all the usual, I guess, caddy things that sort of come up around uh, big big competitions, you know.
1: That's, that's not a female thing like caddy. I, mean, I can assure you that guys <laughs> do exactly as much if not more. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So tell me like so you you did go to Sochi. Like what was that like?
2: Yeah. <laughs> um good. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> so I ended up making the team for Sochi as a reserve. Um in our Okay, so the season before Olympic
1: season? Settle in. Tell us everything. Settle in.
2: Yeah. So, <laughs> it was like
1: the, oh, okay.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Simon's <laughs>
1: cracked his eighth GB <laughs> of just pouring another beverage. Yeah.
2: Season before Olympics, um, pre-Olympic season, whatever you want to call it. So we started getting all these good results and, and, you know, all these good things were happening and and I guess the pilot got pretty excited about it all and it it sort of turned into, well, you know, her just wanting more and, and, you know, we're we're not going to – I guess it sort of felt like for her it was like, you know, um it's a very money based sport where you know you better sleds better runners better equipment all that stuff equates to faster times and you're talking like hundreds of a second between each team you know between first and 10th so every little bit counts and you know we're always battling for for funding and and money and sponsorship and this and that and anyway um Yeah, suddenly pre-Olympic season, we had actually a British girl join the team. She was, um, yeah, apparently politics on on the British team made her not want to be on the British team, so we've suddenly adopted this British girl who was not really meant you know, legitimately meant to be on the team. If you're meant to be on the team, you are Australian, you're either a citizen or you have an Australian passport or that sort of thing. So they were sort of forging, I guess, not that I should be saying any of this stuff, but they were basically forging papers um, for for her to say that, you know, she was working over here and that she was essentially some kind of resident over here just so she could be on the team. Um you know and because she had so many years of experience she must be a better athlete and and you know it's it's going to mean better results and more money and and more this and more that you know so that at the time didn't so much affect me her and i were very i guess similar in ability and it just made me more competitive at the time it did kind of shaft the other Aussie girl that we had on the team though because she wasn't quite as good and rather than developing her and getting her better she just kind of push got pushed out
1: did she uh, did she difficult. have the potential to get better
2: i think so i think um, so she was a ex hockey player so she didn't quite have the speed or the sprint background but she was very tall and and, and big and and strong so you know if you're strong and 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 can develop your speed a little bit and and you know your power output and everything over the ground you 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 can potentially you know you don't have to be Usain Bolt you just have to be able to you know push the sled and 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 get it going so i think she definitely had um potential uh, it was just whether you know there was the the effort or time to to help her develop you know so yeah she sort of got a bit shafted in that sense because she just got pushed out of a lot of races while this British girl was on the team and racing. Um, and that was all fine for just World Cups and 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 probably not even World Champs, actually. But, um, yeah, basically it was her and I in that last, that se- season before the Olympics and she sort of started to realise at the end of that season that um without actually being Australian, having an Australian passport, she wouldn't really have any chance of competing for us at by at, uh, the world champs or the Olympics. So um yeah, she sort of hung around for the season and then um the end of that season <clears throat> there was only one one race to go. And the, yeah, basically the bomb got dropped on us, and and her name just started being, uh, you know, dropped into things here and there, and and all of a sudden there was this talk of that apparently Yana Pittman wanted to come over and 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 give Bob's letting you go, you know, and I, I say that in in uh, big, you know, yeah, <laughs> letters, whatever you want to call it, so. You know, it's me, this random British girl, another Aussie girl who's gone back home because she's sort of had enough from not really getting any races and stuff. And, and suddenly, oh, you know, okay. Jana's coming over to, to give bobsledding a go. She didn't have to do any testing. She didn't have to – nothing. She just basically, as far as we knew, she was coming over to see, you know, how the sport worked, how we trained, what we had to do with the sled, all that sort of thing, May, maybe give it a go. And We just, you think, okay, sure, he's just going to come and watch, that's fine. Um, as things went, she came over, she uh, was, you know, training with us and, and, and checking things out as such. Um, and then the last week came, the last, you know, training week leading into the last race. And, um, suddenly she was going to do a run just to, just to try it, you know, she's going to do a run down the track and, and, and just see, just give it a go. And we sort of thought, well, okay, but, you know, same thing. She's not done any testing. She's not done any, anything. She's just coming over to, to give it a go. So, um, Basically, we were being told, you know, if she joins the team, it'll be good for publicity, it'll be good for sponsorships, it'll be good for this, it'll be good for that, all those sort of things. And we were of the opinion that, fine, all those things are great, but if you're going to join the team, you need to join the team the same way that everyone else does, you know. Um, so that week panned out. She did the, you know, one training run at the start of the week and then the next day she did another training run and then suddenly by the end of the week um, she was doing the race because if, you know, it caught wind back home that she was doing the race, it would be great, you know, great for publicity and great for, for sponsorship and, and blah, 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 basically. So she ended up doing the last race of the season and um, I guess it all went pretty... <laughs> pretty pear-shaped from there. Um, so we were all pretty bitter about that and, and we all sort of went home. The British girl, I guess, re-evaluated things and just sort of went, well, you know, basically, I, yeah, I, there's no point in me hanging around because she knew, she knew she couldn't, without being Australian, she couldn't, you know, she could do some races the following season but it wasn't going to amount to anything. So... Um, that left me, Yana and Jamie, the, the other Aussie girl. She was still sort of in the mix, but, um, yeah, look, she – same thing. She just kind of went, fuck this, and, and knew she wasn't really going to get a run. Yeah. So we had our off-season. We all went and trained and, and, and came back um, at the start of the – well, you know, in the off-season and at the start of – you know, where we need to do athletic testing and all that sort of thing. And and of course, yes, yeah, Yana came and she did all the testing then and um Jamie was there as well and, and it was us three. We did all the testing. We had, you know, did we went to um the New South Wales Institute of Sport. We did all our testing down there. Um and it was all proper and and how it should be. Um, now I still tested um better than Yana. Those are all our. So we we do a sprint test, um, standing long jump, shot put throw, squat, power clean, and then we do some some um, sled pushes with a like mock sled on the track. So all of those um, separate events, same thing, amount to points depending on your results, and your total score is who wins. So we did all our testing, and that sort of set things up for the season, and then. Olympic season. Yeah. essentially yeah. Yana and I, um Jamie got a couple of pre-season races, but you know, nothing nothing major. Um Yeah, and then it was just Yana and I basically battling it out for the rest of the season and um really from that point everything was just geared towards her and um her you know bringing publicity and bringing sponsorship and bringing money to the team. Um, All of those things sort of happened, sort of didn't. Um, All the publicity was more about her, not about the team. All the money and sponsorship that came from her was more specifically like for her rather than, you know, team stuff. So, I sort of knew, uh, leading into the season that it was all just really gonna pan out her way, um, which it did. But I just you know, I guess knowing that it's just you and one other person, you you still you know, I still went into the season giving it everything I had and everything I could in in, in <laughs> case, you know, gonna happen. So yeah, basically, sort of like, I guess, the weightlifting where you got certain qualifying events, we we would set up uh, – this is all based on on the pilot's discretion because we didn't actually have an official um, coach or anyone as such. We were closely affiliated with the German team who were giving us a lot of help, but as for official Australian, you know, bobsled coach, we didn't have one. So a lot of the team was run by the pilot. Um so, yeah, throughout that season they were basically picked, um, well, the pilot basically picked, you know, certain tracks that we were going to do push-offs on and whoever, um, you know, did the fastest push would get that race and also it would amount to uh, being selected at, at, you know, at the end of the season for the Olympics. So, yeah, we just kind of, you know, when it's, a, when it's a combined effort, it's it's quite hard to know. Um how much effort someone's putting in and, and versus how much effort you're putting in and, you know, all those sorts of things, I guess. Um but yeah, as as it panned out everything was very geared towards um Yana and Yana and making the team, so how how yeah, far I, are
1: like that's it's um like she is known as drama Yana in athletic Mm. circles were you aware of that when she Mm. was told that she was when you guys were told that she was just coming for a run and how do you as an athlete when you've got coaches and shot callers introducing someone like this like what does your level does that affect your level of buy-in do you then trust your coaches do you do you doubt the process and obviously that would impact your performance even though I mean credit to you you were still outranking all the others so you were still number one in testing. But how do you, how do mm. you control, like that's a, a, it's a super important skill for all sports, I think, being able to manage adversity between your two ears. How, how did you do it?
2: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it was, yeah, it, it caused, I guess, a lot of tension on the team. Um, between all of us not just you know me and yana or me and you know yana and 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 jamie or anything like that it it was the whole team you know everyone was on edge because you know yeah to be completely honest like Yana's a handful she's very highly strung she she's very you know she was a world champion in athletics so she was of the opinion that um she was a world champion in everything. so it was it was hard it was definitely hard, but you just have to I guess really learn to focus on on you and what you're doing and what's gonna make you better than than her or the next person you know it becomes a, a, more of an internal battle I guess rather than worrying about about the conflict and everything so it's definitely hard you know you're living with these girls for for months at a time so even something like cooking dinner together becomes a a, a shit fight because you just you know it, everything's a constant comp- constant competition so um yeah i guess it it really it really makes you focus on yourself and um and just trying to to be the best you can and get the most out of yourself you know
1: so without I don't wanna dwell on it, but I think it's an important story, but like how and how far away from Sochi did did you get the word or the idea that you weren't gonna be the the boss bitch?
2: <laughs> probably <laughs> probably within the first like um test push off, I guess. So, you know, all the push-offs were geared towards her. So essentially she's she's like six foot tall. At the time she was weighing about 80-odd kilos. I was only weighing maybe 72, 73 kilos. So, you know, it's all sorts of things like so. She, so she had a, you know, a seven or eight kilo weight advantage on me. So then that meant – I was getting eight eight kilos dumped into the sled to make the down times even. So because she weighed more than me, we put more weight in the sled, and that would make the down times comparable. So that, right? That's
1: like a jockey that that adds weight, I think, when they weigh in.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right, but then obviously, like, of course, I'm then pushing a much heavier sled, and I weigh less. So, um, just like you know, cutting, cutting weight in
1: uh, weightlifting.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and, and trying to lift more.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everyone so, can do it. <laughs> As he smashes his, his next beer down. Yeah, we may have
1: to, <laughs> we, we may have to switch to video, video cast. <laughs> the, the scenery is getting too good.
2: It's quality. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, then, of course, you've got um the other person as a factor so i might be pushing my absolute tits off but knowing that the other person may not be doing the same thing or you know e- even even 10% less or 5% less it's it's going to affect you when when you're coming down to you know hundreds of a second essentially so um pretty much within the first sort of test test push off i i knew um it was very, very geared towards her and she was obviously made to look very good. I was made to look very bad. Um, and it it continued that way for the rest of the season um, to the point where I got to the end of the season. Now we had a, a two-week layover um, from the end of the season, which ended in Germany, to they start of the Olympics in Sochi. Just so to all just the a shout out to and...
1: all our German, all our German fans.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes.
1: <laughs> Guten Tag.
2: So <laughs> all the <laughs> all the sleds had to get from Germany all the way over to Sochi. So obviously that's where Randy. that way over time is. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just got to the end of the season. I knew, you know, that – they essentially picked Diana, and I was reserve. I was being told while I was over there that, as reserve, I was you know allowed to be over in the season, but if I if I wanted to be over sorry at the Olympics, um, I had to, you know, pay my own flight, get my own way there, and you know all those sort of things. And oh I'd gosh. been away for. Four months of the year for the last, you know, three to four years. So um, I didn't really have the money to just book a flight and just be like, sweet, I'm going to fly from Germany to Russia. So I said, well, I can't afford it. I'm going home. Yeah. And um, I did pack my shit and I went home. They did whatever they did. I think they did a bit of a training camp for a week and then made their way over to Sochi. Um, and, of course, they were in the village and everything, so, um, you know, their flights got paid for by the AFC and they got to the village and, and they didn't have any extra expense where they were telling me I would essentially have to pay my own flight and, and book some accommodation and, and you know, fuck pay off. my own way. Fuck off. So, yeah, so, of course, I chose uh, option B <laughs> and I went the fuck home.
0: Fair fair enough Absolutely
2: Yeah (laughs) So I went home And I went back to work for a week And you know It was all It was all sweet I was Angry and bitter of course But I was happy to be back home Um, And then, yeah, like I said, they sort of made their way over to Sochi and the sleds started arriving and and all those sort of things started happening. And I started to get messages of, you know, can you come back over? Um, Have you gone back to work yet? We need your help, that sort of thing. Um, And essentially I said, no, like I've been back at work for a week. Like that doesn't even cover the cost of a flight to come back over. So, no, like I can't. I can't come. I can't afford it. I can't um and yeah obviously shit just got harder because you know with just two people and moving 170 kilos sled around is not the easiest thing and and you know you have a reserve or you have a spare person in in most sports for a reason so all things went as they went and I kept getting messages and probably a couple of days later I I had um uh flights and and a bunch of details emailed to me from the AOC um, saying that I needed to, you know, essentially join the team and be over in Sochi. And once all that happened, that was, uh, again, I was pretty angry and actually didn't really want to go. Um, but, you know, my family and, and everyone sort of sort of said to me, look, you know, even though you haven't made the team and, and the reasons for not actually making the team are pretty shit, um, you'd be stupid not to go and, and, you know, experience the Olympics, um to actually be there and, and be involved, you know. So yeah. packed my shit and a week after coming home I left again and I went to Sochi. And yeah, I essentially like even though I was a reserve I had all the same privileges as, as a normal athlete. You know, I had my athlete pass. I got I got all the kit. I got, you know, everything everything was fine. I um spent a couple of nights in the village and then a couple of nights in essentially Australia, uh, had a big chunk of a hotel booked out so and that that was like literally a gondola ride down from the village. So, you know, I I could go to the to the dining hall. Everything everything was normal, you know, like as a normal athlete. Um, just I didn't do the actual race. So I did some training runs and I um helped out a lot <laughs> and yeah basically sent my competition down the start line for the Olympics.
1: I would have just teed off on the booze. I would have had a fucking like, <laughs> sponsored I would have had a sponsored party. Mate, what a mate, what an amazing experience. Yeah. I mean, you got fucked over, but it still would have been amazing mm. to be there. I would have done the same thing. It
2: was yeah, it was. And, you know, once I got past being angry about, you know, having to fucking fly back overseas and shit, I was really glad I went back. And um, as much as it was super hard to to watch, you know, to watch them do the race and, and it not be me and to have to actually, you know, cheer them on at the start line and, and, and you know, help out and all of those things. Like I got to meet some really cool people, you know. We stayed in the village with a lot of snowboarders and skiers. And, you know, one night I spent runners with um the aussie teams guy who waxes the the skis and the surfboards and you know just even watching the way they the the hours that goes into waxing a set of skis or a surfboard like uh, a, a surfboard a snowboard it was phenomenal like <laughs> he had so many different kinds of I've never seen so many different kinds of waxes before and they all had a story like they all had a purpose it was yeah, you know, little things like that where you just think, "Fuck," there's so much to every sport, not just you know the one you're doing. So, yeah, it was definitely a really cool experience. And um, if I had to be a reserve again, I would.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> so for yeah. those for those listening at home that may not know that we're a, you know a predominantly a weightlifting podcast. How? Why did you choose weightlifting after mm. bobsleigh?
2: Yep. So. Had a little bit of an overlap, I guess, in that um, that the, in the Olympic season, essentially, because of all the athletic testing and stuff. I, you know, I wanted to make sure I had the, the you know, the edge on. You know, I'm fucking, I'm competing againstiana. Like she's got every every training, you know, resource at at her disposal. Even though she was not world champion anymore, she still, you know. She has all these she she trains at n swiss she she could use basically any facility she wanted to she had she she had everything that she needed so I went to uh, Cougars, the gym I'm training at now to the weightlifting gym and I just wanted to go in there and just get some help with my um weightlifting just more out of the you know because we had to do power cleans and squats and squats was never really a problem, but um power cleans you know the more I can power clean the more points I'll get and and if technically I can be better at them to lift more weight, then um, I want to know how to technically do them better. So, yeah, I just walked in there with more of the approach of getting help with, um, with, the, with the lifting side of, of my training to benefit me in, in the athletic testing side of things for bobsledding. Now, essentially, with bobsledders, we were just really jacked sprinters. Um Fuck We house. had to push up. Yeah. Seventy kilo. Um for light like tops 40, 50 fifty metres. So, you know, we're just we were just really jacked sprinters under a fucking heavy load. So yeah, I just really went into the weightlifting gym to get to get technical help and to just to just be better at, at the couple of lifts I had to do for testing and um obviously I didn't just go in and just do power cleans and just do squats. I, I gave I gave the rest of weightlifting a go and yeah. And yeah, to be honest, I fell in love with it a little bit. So um, that was a good, you know, for few months before I before I left on the to go on the season. Because obviously we had to do all the athletics testing and everything like that. So um, yeah, all that sort of all that shit sort of developed in 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 bobsledding and um, came back. And I just went, oh, fuck it, I'm just gonna try weightlifting. Seems pretty cool. So yeah. here I am. All right.
0: what's it like what's the what's the approach from get the fuck into the sled to get the fuck under the bar what's uh what's the major what's what's
2: what's
0: what's the big change
2: um i run a lot less
0: (laughs) excellent (laughs) cardio dodger. yep
2: that um that was actually a really difficult transition for me going from like running every second day or sprinting or some form of, you know, that type of training to you just lift weights every day. That, that, was, that was quite difficult for me. Um, <laughs> then two years in, it was like fucking running. <laughs> Who the fuck runs? <laughs> <was? laughs> why, why did I waste my time? Yes. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Run when
0: chased. Run when chased.
2: <laughs> i um done my first share of running, so no. Nah. <laughs> I, I've actually gone back to a little bit of um, track stuff now since coming back from trials. I've been I've been sprinting, you know, once or twice a week again, which I've actually been finding really good. But I think, yeah, the the difference in approaches is, is not all that different to get the fuck in the sled or, you know, push the shit as fucking fast as you can to basically pull the thing as fucking hard as you can and get under it, you know. So quite similar approach, just – Balls to the wall, basically. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what about oh, it's, it's, it's an interesting. There you go, Daz. So I'm just, just sorry, man. I was, letting, letting, I was, I was, I was
1: letting you uh, crack, crack another tinny. Sorry, man. What's the no,
0: sorry,
1: what man? Was, I'll get them. What was your first weightlifting competition like? How did that compare to a bobsleigh oh. race or a sprint?
2: Golly, um. Yeah, well first one was pretty tame to be honest. Um it was really just go in and it was that Toowoomba of all places. But um yeah, it was really just go <laughs> goodbye and Goodbye to all our Toowoomba
1: fans. <laughs> yeah, goodbye. Thanks for <laughs> seeing
2: <laughs> <laughs> Nah look it, it it was yeah, it was never I don't know, my first comp was very very much just about you know getting getting your six lifts and and being being comfortable on the platform and and you know this is this is a competition this is more of an introduction of a competition rather than an actual competition I think. Um, but yeah, I think the the biggest difference I guess moving forward that I have found in in competition you know between sprinting or bobsledding or, or weightlifting or whatever yeah you know between the two um is that it's so much against yourself you know it's when you're pushing a sled it's it, i don't know you 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 know when you're racing with someone it's you you really you you really always like and i know you like you're lifting against someone else you know you're always lifting against whoever else but it's so much more about you against yourself, whereas when you're racing, you you know, you, you're racing other people or you're in the sled too. You, you're still, even though you're the only ones on the track, you're still racing, racing a time. So the biggest difference I've found is how much more you're just actually competing against yourself in weightlifting.
1: And what, what, about opposed, the te- yeah. what about the team environment? So you've mentioned the team environment leading up to Sochi Olympics. What about, so that like is, is a team sport, so what about when mm. you go on weightlifting tour to a weightlifting championship or competition and it, that's an individual sport but you're staying in a team environment? What's what's that like?
2: Um, I think I found that to be pretty similar to track and field, I guess. Um, so that wasn't too weird for me. Um, you're sort of all doing, even though you do essentially doing the same events as such, you're... Very, to me it never you feel more like a team in terms of you're the Australian team but you don't feel like you're actually a team working together yep. so I think um, that's probably the biggest difference is is when you're on a, on a team sport you're actually a team that needs to be working together
0: yep.
2: rather than <laughs> just being part of a team as such so, so what do you I think um, no sorry you go no no you go. I think, I think, I think you definitely in a team sport you know you have to be more bonded with that team and and when the dynamic is is not great um it's very hard to bond and to 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 actually work together you know whereas if the team dynamic is not super great in an individual sport it's not really that much of a big deal it's more of an outside issue rather than having to work together with another person so
1: now touching on that a little bit and i'm I'm always curious like coming from other sports and now involved in weightlifting um Mm. if like in in rugby for instance if you're not if the team's not getting the results it wants it sacks the coach or it sacks the support staff Uh, same in Mm. in any other sport in because you've changed sports what Mm. is what what uh, what's the driver behind that? Because a lot of people are scared to change. A lot of people don't want to change. They don't want to um, put themselves in an uncomfortable position. They like the known. The known mm. might suck, but they they would prefer that. So, mm. what, what gives you the balls to to change sports?
2: Yeah, um, that's an interesting question.
1: I know. I don't know. I, I'm, I I'm pretty like- good. I've got a few others. <laughs>
2: In terms of can, can you uh, just n- from track
1: nudge Simon? Field. I think he's falling asleep. <laughs> oh,
2: I'm not. Right, he's I'm, 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 I'm.
0: Just a little tipsy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: We joke. We joke.
2: <laughs> so yeah, I guess in terms of going from um, track and field to bobsledding that at the time everyone was like fuck you're so brave or like that's really crazy it's such an unknown uh you know good on you type of thing but I guess at the time for me it was like well wasn't really doing much in track and field I just sort of started to come back to try and compete um the opportunity to you know to 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 go and compete overseas like to to be in a sport where you're in a different country each week, um, you know, travel, uh, traveling and competing with all these other nations and, um, and just doing something completely. Yeah. Completely like mental. I just thought, fuck, I'd be stupid. Not, not to go and give it a go. Like, what's the worst that would happen i'd get overseas and, and and do a season or do a month or do a week and and not like it and fucking come home i would home imagine and forget hostel, about it.
1: that documentary hostel would have been the worst thing that could happen
2: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i guess that's my approach to a lot of things is is you know what's what's the worst that can happen um you know you might not be good at it you might not like it you just yeah. come back and you you move on or you you try something else or you, you know, you do what you were doing before. Oh,
1: that's a great point. How about this? And I'll throw it out to Simon as well. You just made on like what's the worst that can happen. If it doesn't work, you can come back. What is it with people Mm. that think that if they change something, they've now burnt a bridge? Why do they think that? Why do they think they can't go back?
0: I don't know. It's a, it's a bloody good question. Um, uh, maybe I think it has a lot to do with what Ebony was saying before about coaches in this sport. And I'm, I'm obviously guilty of it myself, uh, being you know weightlifting specific for so long, that uh, more weightlifting means uh, to get better at weightlifting, you do more weightlifting. And it's like if, if it didn't work initially, it's never going to work. Or if we're mm-hmm. sticking to something, we have to stick with it for a full cycle. And in our minds, mm. the cycle is, is four years, and that's mm. that's if it you know if it doesn't work out, then we have to go back. We can't go back because it's too long now. It's sort of maybe a trap we build for ourselves. Mm. I don't know what your thoughts are, Ebony.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I funny enough, I actually met up with my old track and field coach a few weeks ago, tops, and we were the same thing, like you know, just joking about everything and. Um, you know, trials and it's a bummer that we missed out and all that sort of thing. And, and you know, just offhandedly, I said, Oh, fuck it up. Maybe I'll make a sprint comeback. And he was just like, you know, he <laughs> laughed it off and, and sort of said, Nah, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to have the same problems. <laughs> the same problems you're having in weightlifting. So it's happening in track and field. You know, he goes, it's, it's one of those things. But it, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be adverse to it. And I think, I think it's, it's really down to if, if it's what you really want to do, you're going to make it happen. At least for me, it has been that way. If I really want to do something, I'll do it. And if I fucking don't, I, I just don't. So I don't know. It's, it's hard. It's hard because um a lot of people do, They they get quite scared to try things or quite scared of failure. Or I guess I've just always had a little bit of that fuck it mentality. Like what's, Honestly, what's the worst that could happen? Like yeah. if you shit at it, just, you know, if it doesn't work out, you, you try something else. I guess the only factor for me now moving forward is um, age a little bit. You know, you sort of get to a point where you go, okay, I'm I'm 28 now. I'll be turning 29 this year. You know, you start to count the years left on your fingers. But fuck, if, if it means I've only got three years left or, or two years or whatever that time may be, you've just got to, gotta give everything a crack that I can to to try and get better or if I'll you know I think with my age I probably wouldn't consider trying something terribly new. I'd probably, if anything, go back to <laughs> to one of the other sports. Um but yeah, I think for me that's that's been the major I guess major factor for not trying something new or different would be age. But before that it was always just fuck it, give it a go, why not?
0: Yeah. Um I'm interested to get your thoughts on it, Daz, seeing as like, I'll talk a little bit about uh, one of my athletes, Sophia. Daz, you gave us some you know, some ideas about sprinting and adding it into our program and going, look, you don't need to do any more than 40-metre sprints, you know, sort of for time and all that sort of stuff because Soph can't tap into 100% of her potential because she's mm. not a sprinter. I- is there a difference there because, well, Ebony, you know, comes from a sprinting background. Do you give her the same sort of program and is that maybe why – we are so worried about changes that we were going to become sports specifically fit in another aspect and it's going to ruin our weightlifting or maybe we're just misinformed about all this sort of stuff. What are your thoughts, mate? Um, Ebony
1: would have, because she's got, ex, she has a history of sprinting, so she would have, she'd still do the 40s, but she would also do a little extra and a little different stuff because she knows okay. she knows how to tap into 100% effort. And I don't mean that sarcastically either. Like obviously you know, pick your pick your elite weightlifters, they know how to tap into 100% effort to clean and to snatch and to jerk. Yeah. They they got that. But that's a specialist. Yeah. Like you don't get better at your sport by playing your sport. You must do accessories to support your sport. So um, Ebbs being a sprinter, like doing 40s isn't just enough. I would actually like make her sprint a little longer to get to get uncomfortable, more uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. she's used to that fucking pain and, and distress. Because we all go through mm. distress and distress is how we manufacture competition scenarios. Um, with uh I always lean back on CrossFitters because they're very good at everything but not perfect at anything. They're very mm. good at training and doing volume, but they but none of them very rarely can tap into a hundred percent effort. Like the, the sprint yeah. event at the Games the last few years, as a sprinter watching it, it's not very good in terms of performance. Just like when a swimmer would watch the beach events, it's not very good to watch because they're not very good at swimming. On the track, they're not very good at sprinting, but put it all together and they'll fucking destroy anybody doing everything. But for yeah. if just an example, if, if Soph got better at sprinting, that means she's accessing 100% effort in something that she's not comfortable with, which means she's only going to be better when you put it back into her comfort zone. And the same, same for Ebbs. Yeah. Like, Ebony can hire herself out on the weekends as a fucking forklift. Like the bitch can squat a fucking <laughs> Mack truck. So would I, wait, would I waste Ebony's time fucking squatting at all? No. Like she can retire squats now. <laughs> and and she, all she has to do is squat. What is is jerk? What she can squat, and she's now Australia's number one seventy-five. Like it's not. Yeah. It's not fucking rocket science. If if you're not constrained by a box of tradition, like um, yeah. And then I remember back him telling you. Okay, settled. Settling kids. Let me tell you a story. When <laughs> I, when I first. Oh, let me crack another one. Crack another one. Fucking hell. Get get to. So. When I, what my, it's always bothered me when in amateur sports that, and it doesn't happen in professional levels, but in amateur sports, people will fucking burn you and cut a bridge off, burn a bridge if you change coaches, sports and teams. So I was a pretty good football player back in the day playing rugby. I got offered a rugby league contract. I took it because rugby in the day was amateur rugby league's professional. You know, I was bad at school, so obviously I thought, "Fuck, I'll go play professionally and make a career out of it." While I'm, I tell my team at the time that I'm leaving and signed a contract, they were like, "Fuck you, you know, you're burning a bridge. It's a fucking mistake. Don't fucking do it." Then the the rugby league team is like, "Yeah, come on board. You're going to be awesome. You're going to, you know." I was like Kenny Powers. The first two minutes at East Down was my fucking footy career. Yeah, and then um, and then I watched. In the professional realm, and sort of touches on what Ebony went through with Bob Slate, I watched a five-eight purposely drop the ball and run the wrong plays because there was a, a halfback that he didn't like. The in, these are control games. Mm. There was a halfback inside him that he didn't like. He didn't want to. He didn't want to play him. So didn't want to play with him. Didn't want him to get the gig. So he was dropping balls, making mistakes, calling the wrong plays. Then this halfback gets subbed out. This other guy comes in, and it was like it was fucking a well orded machine. And it was all fucking staged. And I thought, fuck, okay, the world is not fair. You can't just be the no. best at what you do. You have to fucking play the game a bit. And then mm. so eventually my professional days didn't work out the way I thought they would. Come back to rugby and then I've burnt bridges because now I'm the rugby, rugby league guy that's come back. And it's like, <coughs> fuck me. Like, mm. what, aren't I allowed to try to do something better for myself? And it's like, mm. um, and then we're doing a lot with corporate health at the moment with its you know shameless plug GCS health performance. And uh, <laughs> we're talking, talking a lot about um, how uh, in the corporate world it's cutthroat because people, like when you talk to somebody and you say, you know, the normal Aussie greeting, it's like, g'day, mate, how you going? People want you to be doing well, but they don't want you to be doing better than you generally. Mm-hmm. So when if you're in a club – or a team or or a sport, and somebody sees you changing that environment, they start to doubt themselves and they and it's human reaction for most people they lash out and they they don't want to fucking support that decision and it's, it's a shame it's like you've only got and Ebb's touched on it mm. again, you've only got so many years as an athlete, don't fucking waste them where you're not happy yeah don't don't fucking do it yeah, oh, sorry, and that all wraps up in the fact that sprinting is life
0: sprinting makes you happy. <laughs> Well I mean it's it's a very very interesting point that you touch on and a, a lot of me says that it comes from sorry the volunteerism sort of culture in weightlifting but there are a lot of clubs a lot of coaches that are moving outside of it and it's still a thing is just because we yeah. devote we devote so much time to each other that it, it's 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 not an actual it's not a business relationship that we've developed. It's a personal relationship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's what it feels like to me. Like I mean, again, I've had athletes go for many different reasons, and I feel like yeah, I'm obviously upset as a coach, but I understand their choices and I respect their choices. It's but I obviously it's I put this much time in, whether I'm paid or not paid. I put this much time in. And it's either either an element of I'm sad to see you go or you've done this to me or you've wasted your potential. Like I think that's what coaches feel. And I I don't know if there's an answer to that in the current environment or in a future sort of environment that we create. Yeah, I've got an answer. Are your thoughts, Ebony? Oh, yeah, Des has always got an answer. (laughs) Give me an answer, Des. The the quick
1: answer is you're the coach, not the athlete. Don't you dare tell them what they should be doing with their life beautiful P- Provide a service and shut the fuck up i
2: like it <laughs> i like it well look it if it makes you feel any better it's you know it's not just weightlifting when i was in track and field it was very similar um bob flooding <laughs> fucker we were the only team so you know we we had no problem there we didn't we struggled <laughs> to actually have a coach let alone fucking worry about cha- changing coaches so um <laughs> But yeah look in in track and field it was the same i remember when i went from uh my previous coach to um the coach Daryl, who uh went to the olympics and stuff um now my other other coach was yeah yep. sorry yeah no worries see ya Ebbs is still very
1: graciously getting paid for this podcast
2: <laughs> so um, yeah, in, when I went from from my my coach that I had uh, at the end, the guy who went to the Olympics, from my previous coach, now he gosh, he was an older older guy. He had coached quite a lot of um, you know high level Australian athletes, particularly hurdlers, which is why I went to him in the first place. Um, but you know he, he he just outgrow some coaches I think, and that's that's more what it's about. It's more about getting you know adversity or whatever whatever the reason may be. And and yeah, he was quite upset and quite offended. And and you know at the time I was I was only you know still a junior, so it it was you know a case where my my mum and my parents actually had to be involved in in sort of saying you know well she wants to change coaches, so this is who we're going to and and yeah it was a big deal um and it it's it's really it made me really uncomfortable for a long time whenever i'd see him and and you know in the end uh you know a year or however long that time passed down the track it was actually fine and and not a problem and and you know i got a lot better from changing coaches i i you know changed to my previous coach and and started to win nationals and and win things I wasn't winning before, and so he then I think realised that it it was a better, better career move, I suppose. But the initial, I guess, shock of it, um, yeah, it it makes it, it made it super awkward. So it's not only in weightlifting, um, but I do. Yeah, I do. I do feel for people trying to, trying to move and trying to change for themselves because they it it becomes more about like you know guilt and about you know how you you're going to make someone else feel rather than about actually just improving yourself.
1: What do you think about this? Like Simon and I, we had a chat off air um, before the podcast started, and we were talking about just about coaching in general and how. There's, there's really not a bad – like, there's no such thing as a bad coach, but they're probably the wrong coach for the wrong time. And we're we'll saying, like, yeah, some coaches are probably better suited at juniors, some are at the higher level, some mm. in the middle level. What Would you go along with that? Like, what would you think?
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think, like, um, even whether it's some coaches uh, – more suited to certain people too, you know. Yeah, like it's yeah. it's definitely a, a personality thing, or you know, what what works for Pip or Sophia or, or whoever it may be may not work worked for me because you know we all got different, I guess, problems and yeah. issues and and strengths and weaknesses and and I think the best coaching relationships is the one where the coach actually understands what the athlete needs moving forward rather than uh, you know, what they need maybe as a coach. yeah, um, or or what they need to, to, to make, you know, their resume look better, I guess. Because at the end of the day it's it's about improving the athlete, not what's gonna make you look better as a coach. Fucking If Ove. that sort of makes sense.
1: Preach, this this is when the yeah. choir chimes in.
2: That's <laughs> I just, yeah, I just, I just feel like a lot of coaches, well, in the experience that I've had, it's like they get offended because they think it's, it's a fault of theirs. So you're leaving because of some fault of theirs. And I think a a big majority of the time, it's not necessarily a fault. It's just that, you know, you as an athlete need, whether it's a change or adversity or whatever. And, and I think, you know, there's obviously coaches can go out and learn more and do all those things, but I think it's it's sort of becomes a personality thing too, especially with like young athletes, you know, you you're growing into a different person. Yeah. Um, so as an athlete, you're sorta of growing into a different athlete too. So in all that growing and and changing, you know, you just sorta of sometimes it, you know, what they say change is as good as a holiday. So I think yeah. even just, just just having that adversity sometimes can can make the difference and whether it be for six months or the next five years, if, if that difference makes the difference at the time, then, you know, it should be what's more important. But I think, yeah, I think everyone gets very caught up in that. Oh, you know, it's my fault or there was something I did or didn't do or or whatever. And I, it's, it's, it's not really about that a lot of the time, you know?
0: Oh, look, I a hundred percent agree with you. On that, And I think I think it's a, a lesson for athletes and coaches that if you don't know what you want, you're probably going to have a hard time in sport. And it, it was a hard lesson for, for me as a very young coach a few years ago to go, I've dedicated so much time to an athlete, why, why are you leaving? And you go, you don't own an athlete, you don't control an athlete, they will do what they want to do. And I know what I want as a coach now and I hope that my hope for my athletes is that they know what they want from the sport and what they want from me as a coach and if those sort of ideas align then we're going to have a good coaching and athlete relationship if not Mm. it's probably not going to work out but that again that's not a problem with the coach or a problem with the athlete it's just a problem with the situation and that's Mm. something we can't control
1: here's one for you for both you guys what as a coach, Simon, if you are working with an athlete and you think they need what you can't offer them, would you then forward them on to someone who can?
0: I can, and this is one of my proudest things I can say. I 100% would. In fact, uh, you know, at our Hawthorne club, it has been a situation that's happened multiple times over the last couple of years. Like, I know where I stood as a coach. I knew where I could take this athlete. And I knew I couldn't take the athlete to where they wanted to go and have happily handed them over to a more experienced coach. So I have no issue with that. I think it's something that has to happen because again, I don't own an athlete and I don't own their, their results. They own their results. And if I can't get them to where they're going to go, it's probably going to look bad on me. Yeah, uh, And uh, it's a little bit of a selfish way to look at things, but for for me, it's always about the athlete then, if I can't do it, there are plenty of other, other coaches out there that can.
1: Okay. So here's, here's another one then. How do you, cause I've had to do this myself. How do you, as a coach, sack a client and ebbs, how do you tell your coach that X, Y, Z person is a dead shit and has to go cause they're affecting the greater group?
0: Um, for for me, it's 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 not a a conversation that I've had to have too regularly. Um, one, I, I think I've only had one athlete the whole time. I've gone, look, weightlifting's not for you, and that was purely because they so were Collingwood supporters. Yes, how did yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. nothing of AFL, oh. but I know that no one likes them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we just lost seventy thousand viewers. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, now it was purely because he had an injury when he was younger where he basically broke both of his elbows and his elbows didn't bend the right way it was just unsafe for him to do the sport when I'm going look I'm not the right coach for you it's probably a, a discussion I have with the athlete where I'm saying what do you want this is what I can provide do you think I'm the best coach for you and if they say yes, I will continue to do what I'm doing because that's what I do.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I no longer care, or uh, it's not that I don't invest time. But I don't care what the result is because they have said I am okay with what you're doing. Yeah. If the answer is no, I can't work with you anymore. Then I will provide them with a better option.
1: Yeah.
0: That that's my approach to it. We'd love to hear the athlete's point of view from you, Ebony.
2: So my my the question to me was if there's someone that say we're tr- that that's in the squad or that that we're training with that we you know don't think is you know that's affecting the squad is is that the question yeah, to yeah, me? Yeah. What would we say? So we had we actually had a guy who was um training at our gym who was quite disruptive and quite just a bit of a twat really. Um, And I think the coaches tried to work with him and tried to make things work out till it just got to a point where, you know, everyone was uncomfortable with him and um, it really just became a general consensus and it wasn't actually too much of a a problem or a realisation for the coaches to just say, no, sort of enough's enough and – you know, you probably shouldn't really train here anymore. So I've, I've not yet been in a, in a scenario where it's, you know, I guess been uh, someone who who it wasn't like completely obvious to everyone else that they shouldn't be there, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, the few instances I've been in, it was it was just really clear cut and sort of that person had to go, so they were just... Just kind of phased out, I guess. Um, but, Yeah, I think. Gosh, I don't know how I would approach it.
1: I picture you grabbing them by the fucking collarbones and just fucking <laughs> head, head them, telling them to fuck off, and then dragging them outside like a boss bitch, like a fucking
2: Look, broken
1: I bobsleigh. I don't
2: know too much. I don't have too much problem with with many people, to be honest.
1: That's not what I heard. I'm
2: pretty straight. Oh, I'm, pretty straightforward. <laughs> I'm pretty straightforward and I think like, you know, uh, I guess I'm just the sort of person if I think that you're, you know, taking me for a ride or I don't really like what you're saying or we don't really, you know, get along for whatever reason, I don't really spend too much time or effort in it. I think, you know, if we get along, we get along. If we don't, I just don't really bother, so... Well, Simon, we're no, no, uh, killing
1: it. This has been a, an hour and 40-minute podcast, so we're doing all right. She would have hung up yeah. on us. Cards? Well, I
0: feel good. <laughs> yeah, that might be the beers talking, but I, I do feel good. Oh, you look good. <laughs> no, it's not go that far. Now people know we're
1: lying. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, Evs, we'll, we'll wrap it up, but every episode we ask uh, Elite Lifters what – what do they think uh australian weightlifting is doing great and where do you think there's some potential for improvement Mhm <laughs> You can you can mail the answer in if you like and we'll fucking do it on the <laughs> episode. Take your time
2: Yeah look i think um gosh i think as a community
0: you want to get paid in bitch. general
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think as a community in general, like, um, everyone is really supportive and everyone does band together as such. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of team things and and, and helping each other out as, as, a, as a general, um, I think that's what is really good in this sport, um, which, you know, coming from track and field and all those sort of things, it's very much, you're very much on your own um it's an individual sport and you just do what you got to do and that's it whereas i think weightlifting is one of those the community generally seems to be that you even though it is an individual sport everyone still does try and help each other out as much as they can i think um look i think what weight oh australian weightlifting could do better huh. i think um more, I think just more st- structuring and more more structuring of development. They have, you know, once you make an Australian team, it's like any sport though, once you make an Australian team, you have a lot of things at your disposal. But the development side of things of, of actually, you know, saying, well, you know, you might be good as uh, even just giving, giving you a plan, like when you start to show potential to say like, um, you know, this might be a good competition for you and, and, and this body weight might be good for you. And, and rather than just sort of, I guess, letting everyone have to to figure things out and, and fight it out for themselves, I think a lot more could go in into the development of athletes, I think. Um, and, you know, once you make teams, not necessarily that it's easy, obviously, moving forward where we're we've having a lot of funding issues and things like that. So... Um, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting, I think, um, to say the least. But yeah, I think definitely, definitely uh, helping to develop athletes has always for me been an important thing because it's it's like that in quite a lot of sports, you know. Whether when you when you're a kid um, and and you're learning to do a sport, there's a lot of help and there's a lot of you know avenues to get better and this and that. But once you're at a certain level. Um, to try and get better from there and to try and, you know, make those more teams and, and, and get that little bit, you know, more elite or, or, you know, that little bit further is, is really quite hard. So.
0: Absolutely. Well, look, Ebony, thank you so much for taking the time out while well, you're still at work. So you're getting paid. It's so brilliant. I mean, <laughs> <this is the, laughs> You've you, you done it well, but um, yeah, look, <laughs> me, me and Daz is probably the most open me and, me and him have been because we love chatting to chicks like you, you're amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and we'd uh, obviously love to have you back on anytime you want, anytime you can get off work. But um, yeah,
2: I may as well just do it while I'm fucking at work, to be
0: honest. Yeah, <laughs> but, fucking hey, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, again, thank you so much. And, you know, um, you know we're always up for it oh, anytime, anytime. Yeah, thanks for coming on, bud. And uh, just keep
1: being a boss bitch.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I just need to keep pushing shit, running away from shit, and lifting heavy shit, I reckon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fucking (laughs) hey. Fucking awesome.
2: Thanks very much, mate. You better watch out. We'll fucking push you over. Yeah. Thanks, guys. guys. Thanks.